Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. My guest this week is Brian Hollingsworth of Royal H Cycles. Of the many frame builders I've met over the years, I don't think I've met any with a more unusual background. Brian Hollingsworth is a New Englander who cut his teeth working for seven cycles. He may be the only builder I've ever met who has fabricated frames from carbon fiber, titanium, and steel. I'm reasonably convinced I've not met another builder who has laid up an entire carbon fiber frame as well as brazed steel in lugs or done fillet brazing. It turns out he comes from a family of cyclists and makers. That he should become a frame builder is no great surprise. Hollingsworth has been out on his own for 10 years, which is a significant mark for a frame builder. Few make it past five. Without further ado, here's Brian Hollingsworth. Brian Hollingsworth. Man, thank you for joining me on the poll. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Enjoying a, a sunny, cold <laughs> New England uh, December day. Now, you're in the greater Boston metropolis, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I, I think I've had a shop in, the head badge says Boston. Um, I'm technically in uh, Medford now. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a shop in Charlestown, in the seaport in Boston, in Somerville, uh, so yeah, it, greater Boston Metro. And then, you know, as shop space becomes available and, you know, people leave town, I, I kind of, you know, felt part of a overhead lowering, uh, strategy that has worked for me thus far. So, but Very yeah, cool. anyway, short answer, Medford. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, now there is a rich tradition of the bike industry, maybe not a huge tradition, but it's rich anyway of the bike industry in Boston. Um, I'm curious, like, how did you get your start in the bike biz? So, well, I mean, again, there's a, a real short answer and that, that is seven cycles. I, I, I kind of, uh, I went to school for engineering and had a series of pretty, pretty terrible jobs, my own fault. I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know kind of what areas to, to attack. And it was 2008 and I was just happy to get a job and I ended up working for a little too long somewhere I wasn't super engaged in. So I kind of had this like crisis moment where I'm like, you know, I really enjoy riding bikes. And I think I literally saw a print ad for, uh, UBI, the United Bicycle Institute in, uh-huh. uh, like by bicycling magazine. And I feel like the, you know, hooray for print media. I was like, yeah, this is something I should do, you know, and technical background into bike riding, you know, a fabrication class, like this, this could be interesting. Uh, so, but I, right. So I didn't know anyone in the industry that I, I wasn't so foolhardy to think that I could just, you know, make two bikes at UBI and, and start a, start a brand. Um, so I, I, I got in touch with seven, uh, before I went out there. Um, and they were like, okay, sure, sure. If you, you know, if you still want to do it when you get back from UBI, give us a call. Um, and I did, and they were like, oh, okay. So I started in the, as a finisher at seven. Um, and that was just an amazing experience in terms of like, introducing i was like a the quick pass to just the who's who of you know all the welders there and then i met all the guys from independent who you know splintered off to become firefly and um tyler's actually my neighbor now uh so you know it just it was like a it was the perfect thing to do and and i ended up um going from finishing to oddly um carbon fabrication so um my frame building experience wasn't really being put to exact use in that I wasn't making the steel bikes at seven. Um, but we, there was a, a, a full carbon custom line that was kind of developed while I was at a UBI or beforehand that mm-hmm. uh, I got to build the first couple, uh, you know, uh, the V2, the triad that I think it was called the A6 platform, um, of custom carbon frames. So I did that for like <laughs> close to 10 more years. 
Um, wow. I, and I just, I just loved, I just loved everything about working at seven. I love the people, the, the, the chance to like actually be doing custom carbon work was really cool. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, at, at some point in that process, I kind of broached the subject with Rob, the owner Rob Vandermark. And, um, you know, I was like, <laughs> is it, I think he was, uh, he, he, he was pretty, pretty, uh, funny about it. He uh, was like, yeah, you, you can build, you know, 10 frames a year on the side under your own brand. Like that's not really steel custom steel lugged frames. He's like, you're just not in any way competing with seven. And also it's like, you know, we make that amount of frames in a day. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just funny. Cause I'm like, Oh geez, do I have to choose? Do I have to pick? So, so I, you know, based on, you know, Rob being really generous and, and, uh, you know, I was able to do my own thing and work at seven, you know, these were super long weeks. Uh, but you know, you're in your twenties, who cares? <laughs> so, right. Right. Yeah, what else are you going to do with yourself? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I did that for many, many years. And then, um, I think ultimately it was just, it was a little much. And as much as I, they, they seven decided to retire the full carbon, uh, program, uh, just the cost of updating the molds was, you know, it was like, we were still making bikes with, with tubes that were molded, you know, more mm-hmm. than five years earlier. And, you know, the carbon, other big carbon brands, they changed their look every, every couple of seasons. So our bikes were starting to look a little dated. So they retired that. And it seemed like that was a good time to, to kind of, you know, strike out on my own. Uh, although it was, you know, with a heavy heart, I actually still would do, you know, the occasional, like if they needed extra help, I would go in and, and, uh, and glue up some high carbon bikes Okay. or do repairs, you know, as, as stuff came back, you know, if someone got a new crash or something. Um, so, but yeah, so I still, I still had a relationship with seven, even after I kind of officially left. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just the perfect introduction to, to an industry that I was a complete outsider, you know, I mean, cycling enthusiast, but not, uh, I wasn't a racer, so I didn't really have any ins, uh, outside of the fabrication world. So that's kind of how I got into got into it from a, a fabrication standpoint. But you'd never worked in a bike shop though. No, no. <laughs> yeah. A real outsider. Like I said, like just, you know, I got to know the shops in the area just mm-hmm. because I would frequent them, but, uh, yes, yeah, certainly not a mechanic. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like a combination of, of, I think there was like a little boom, uh, in terms of frame builders in like, 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. um, it, it, I kind of got to ride that wave. And I think it brought a lot of people who, you know, may not have had any, uh, any, you know, professional industrial experience, but who had a fabrication, uh, you know, knack for that. And, and, you know, kind of just that boom was, it, I think allowed a lot of people to kind of start companies that, uh, without the traditional path into the, into the frame building world. It was certainly a fertile period. I mean, I recall yeah. watching what was happening at NABS and, you know, it's like, holy cow, where did these guys come from? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, no, it is a little weird. I mean, and and I think uh, part of it, too, is, you know, growing up in a in a family of cyclists, um, you know, we, we certainly did a lot of our own wrenching uh, growing up, just in the garage. Um, and, 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 you know, there was definitely always an appreciation for hand-built frames that mm-hmm. – uh, you know, just my, my mom and, uh, my mom had a combine, uh, has a combine. Holy uh, you know, my cow. Dad is yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, you know, my dad's obsessed with Nervex lugs. Like we have Nervex posters and the, you know, so it's like that kind of household, you know, growing up, like, you know, it, there was an appreciation for hand-built bikes. You didn't and, stand and, a chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it kind of, it's funny actually now that I think back how long it took me to kind of figure that out but um find your destiny yeah exactly exactly <laughs> wow a columbine okay so for I listeners mean, that's a beautiful machine too yeah yeah uh you know this is one of those where it's maybe just obscure enough in 2019 that i need to back up and tell our listeners so uh the murphy brothers uh john and oh oh i should cut a toe off for this um there were two brothers last name murphy yeah. originally murphy, yeah. in in the greater Barrie area i want to say and then moved to mendocino and made some of the most uh decorative frames uh not to be used as decoration but most decorated i should say frames yeah uh mother of pearl inlays uh i remember one with rubies 
yeah. really, I mean, highly decorated frames that were also, yeah. you know, incredibly well made, uh, you know, stainless steel, polished stainless steel yep. uh, yeah. bits, um, uh, hand cut lugs, you know, if, it, like if they start. Jewelers, yeah, like yeah. amazing, like plant, like, like flowers on the lugs like, yeah. and depth too, like the carving in three dimensions as well as just the profile. Right, so, right. Yeah. I, I don't think that stuff, there's yeah. really a parallel to what they've done at all anywhere. There've been a lot of decorative things done, but I think they kind of ran out the end of that particular vein. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, you don't see bikes like that really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they were, I mean, they made out of true temper, like real nice high end tubing. Like the bike is light. Uh, mm-hmm. it just, and it's still in great shape, you know, it's, uh, and my mom's a little, you know, it's a tiny little bike. Um, but, uh, you know, internal cable routing and all that. So wow. I think, it was, yeah. So, so I grew up like, like that's what I look for, you know, or was, you know, when I was a kid, like that's the first thing I would look for. Like, like, Oh, how's, how are the cables routed? Like, what are the, you know, there brazons or, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of that vocabulary was, was there, uh, from an early age. Um, so wow. kind of made, made sense. So in your time at seven, it sounds like you spent most of it working with carbon did you ever like learn to weld titanium? So, uh, this is a great segue. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I, my welding, uh, I took a welding class at UBI. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I, I was able to form a bike shaped object. Uh, you know, I was very proud of it, but you know, certainly nothing to, uh, actually in, 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 uh, in a very humbling and embarrassing, uh, you know, the folly of youth. I, I, I found an old email recently. Uh, I think I'd emailed independent, uh, cause I was approaching them about working too, in addition to seven. Um, and I sent them pictures of my, my welds, very proud of them. Like, look what I made. And I, I looked at the <laughs> pictures now. Like, I just can't imagine being someone who was working there at the time and being like, Oh my God, this, this go- go- goober sending us bubblegum welds, you know, that uh, just has, has no idea. I think that was an interesting distinction too. Like, I feel like my knowledge of bikes growing up was all lugged. Even fillet brazing, I don't think would have, you know, registered with me. So uh-huh. I, I, I didn't have an appreciation. I mean, you work at seven for two days and you're like, okay, now I know what good welds look like. But um, <laughs> I think prior to that, I was ignorant enough to think that uh, what I was making was actually pretty good looking. <laughs> so. Well, when you don't know, you know, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah. So my, my work was all, was, was, was purely epoxy based at seven. Uh, obviously the full carbon didn't require any heat whatsoever. Um, but, uh, I did develop a fascination with the Thai carbon lug bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, became friends with the welder at seven and, and we, we developed a, um, uh, a, a, a Royal H tie carbon lugged frame design, um, that utilize internal and external lugs, um, that, you know, and I, again, I talked to Rob and, you know, I'm like, is it cool to make these prototypes? Uh, so it really was a collaboration. Um, and I leaned on obviously the Mike Salvatore's welding for, for making those lugs. And then I, my carbon expertise for, for bonding everything up. Um, so yeah, so it really was uh, a true collaboration. I've, I've actually been doubling down on my welding. Uh, the the balance bike. I just finished the balance bike for a friend's kid, and uh, yeah, that was, this was like a good opportunity to practice out uh, some welding and, and and get that back dusted off because um, you know there's only so many fillets you can do on a, a kid's balance bike <laughs> before <laughs> you're kind of like, okay, I just need this to be done. Uh, so. <laughs> that's funny so now with with hollingsworth and royal h uh because you actually have two labels that you uh produce under uh what are i mean i know you do some some fillet brazing and i know you do mm-hmm. obviously lug work are you doing mm-hmm. um much in the way of the you know the bonded uh carbon titanium or any pig welded say steel or tie uh so at the moment yeah short answer no uh that collaboration was kind of hinged on my you know being employed there at seven uh whereas you know now that i'm kind of officially uh you know not in their employ i i don't have access to to that um you know my shop's not set up for tig i don't have argon or i don't even have a welder 
Um, okay. So I would say, you know, it, it, it's maybe, yeah, I would say no. That was kind of like a, a, a one-off thing that I thought would be really fun for the NAB in Connecticut. Uh, what year was that? A couple years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Um, two years ago, yeah. So I thought it would be kind of a fun, just like, it, you know, a fun way to, to bring up the fact that I've done, I've probably built more carbon or, or bonded frames than I, certainly than I have steel frames. Um, so that would be kind of an interesting way to bring up that part of my frame building background, uh, at a show, but it's not really something that I can offer. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Lewis actually wrote about that bike, uh, for RKP. So I should link back to that piece. Uh, oh, when yeah. we get this up. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but the, but the home, the, just to, to quick, uh, circle back to that Hollingsworth stuff, uh, that, uh, it seems a little confusing from a marketing standpoint like why do you have two brands but the hollingsworth line actually came up after i had been building for a couple of years my uncle uh is a, a retired um among other things a woodworker um and is you know obsessed with bikes uh, uh and was super super interested in lug carving he's got a, a wood background so he kind of would take some of these carved wood uh, designs or, or motifs and, and he was carving them into lugs. And I was like, this is amazing stuff. Uh, I made him, uh, you know, a, a Hollingsworth bike with a lug set that he carved. Um, and then, you know, he just kept making lugs and was really into it. So I was like, this should be something I offer. So, um, that's a collaboration with my uncle who does the lug carving. And I think there's 20 patterns now that we have. Um, uh, so that's kind of like, you know, built by Royal H, same exacting standards of, tolerance and and uh and and fit and whatnot same exact fit process same exact order process but with hand carved lugs and a little bit more of a traditional you know look they're all level top tube one <laughs> steer you know so so yeah so it kind of came about a little backwards but just based on something that i was just so blown away by uh yeah yeah and I, I was like I, it's too it's really fun to braise uh lugs like that actually so I enjoy working with them. I love working with my uncle, which is, it's just, it's fun to work with your family on something that you both are passionate about. Uh, so yeah, so it just seemed like, you know, I, I, as a frame builder, I think a lot of frame builders suffer from marketing, uh, shortcomings, but, uh, I think, yeah, <laughs> formalizing that on the website in a way that's like, this is a Royal age, but it's, you know, like a, uh, you know, a, the, the deluxe or, or, or you know, uh, the Rolls Royce or, you know, some kind of like, Right. It is, it's a, mo- a model less than a, a separate, you know, a separate brand, but right. Right. Gotcha. On the to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so of the construction methods that you do offer, what's your favorite lugs? Uh, you know, it's, I, that's my knee jerk answer, but I I've been doing on these gravel bikes, uh, as, as gravel bikes become more popular. Um, I've been doing a lot more filibrating just because, uh, you know, once the, you know, if you're using a carbon fork, uh, the axle of crown gets really high, uh, and your, uh, feet tube to down tube angle starts mm-hmm. to diminish. If you can imagine that head tube going up in the air. Right. Um, so there's, uh, you're almost immediately out of the realm of most castings. Uh, so you can either fight with the lugs or, you know, if you take a filibrating approach, you're, it's just a much more relaxed <laughs> design process. Cause you're not trying to hit, you know, that 60 degree angle that almost all bottom bracket castings are, uh, made in or, or, and then you're not searching eBay for like the one-off, you know, casting that's not imported by Nova or, uh, frame builder supply. You, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it just, it's a lot more liberating and relaxing to be like, Oh, it's a fill brace frame. I'll, I'll get the tubes that make sense for that. The butt blanks that make sense for that. And I'm not going to worry about ang- the angles can fall where they will. Um, and I'm actually totally, I, I've done plenty of bikes that have a mixed, uh, you know, construction where like if the bottom bracket does work out, uh, I'll use a lug shell at, at the BB and a Philip race head tube. If, if, for example, I'm using a 44 millimeter head tube, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know of any castings that are made for that. Uh, I could do a bilam, you know, where I cut yep. like a, you know, you know what I mean? So I, I'm actually, the, the more I build, the more, uh, comfortable I am with, with, with not having things set in stone. Like a lug bike doesn't necessarily have need to have a full lug set. Um, you know, as long as it, as long as it makes sense, you know, you don't want to just have it appear random, but if it's obvious why the choices are made, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. Neat. Neat. Okay. So 
Uh, you've explained why you struck out on your own. You've been doing Royal H how long now? Well, I mean, if we were, if we're counting that first frame at UBI, I actually don't think it was, I hadn't had the name yet, but since 2006, that's like when I made my first frame. And I guess the company was uh, founded in 2009. That's right. I, that's where I filed the paperwork, got my tax ID. Uh, so I'd been building, you know, in the off hours to like friends and family mm-hmm. uh, in the interim. But uh, yeah, so 2009. Ten, ten years. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. That's a that's a heck of a mark. Uh, you know, RKP just celebrated ten years last summer. So, yeah, it feels good, huh? It does. It does. Yeah, yeah. And it is weird that I mean, I think because I was an outsider of the industry, there's a certain amount of that imposter syndrome that you know I would go to this, I would do the Philly Expo or, or um, the Builders Ball, um, but I I didn't do NAVS. I was I was. Nervous is maybe not the right word, but I I just felt like I needed to cut my teeth a little bit more um, before going to a national show. Um, So, you know, I feel like now that 10 years has has gone by, I'm like, okay, no, this is good. I'm a frame builder. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I I feel like also when when that boom was going on, um, you know, it it was kind of a lot of people would build frames uh, and they would photograph exquisitely and they, they were exquisite frames, but I think a lot of people ended up getting out of the business because they could never figure out a way to make them profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to say it's easy to make a, like if you have infinite time, you can make a, a show bike that looks really, really good, but you're not making any money on it. Right. You know what I mean? Cause you, you've spent five weeks polishing lugs or, or something. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think a lot of that, I think time weeded out a lot of, brands that were amazing bicycles, but either not efficient or didn't have a process down or yeah. So I, I think time has helped a lot with, with weeding out or for helping me to, to, to get my process dialed in, in terms of, you know, someone puts an order in, get them, you know, getting them in the shop for a fit up, getting the fit up into a bike CAD design, getting the, you know, right. ordered. all that stuff seems very trivial when you're starting. You're like, I just want to build bikes. That's all that's important. But really, you know, getting your process down and, and, and just the efficiency of dealing with customers is huge. Um, you know, if you're playing phone tag, if you're wait, you know, if you haven't gone through the full checklist of what people want and it's like, oh, where's my uh, light mount? You know, when the frame's back from paint, <laughs> you know, th- these are disasters. So right. um, I think, you know, now I've got a pretty dialed in process for for uh, for getting all that taken care of and making sure that the bike that gets painted is the bike that the person ordered. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, having seen, and if I may add judged your work at NABS, uh, yeah, you, you count you're legit. <laughs> That's why we're talking now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate um, I, you know, every now and then I'll have one of these experiences where some builder just comes out of nowhere and it's like, where have you been? <laughs> And you, you are a classic example of that. I was completely unaware and, you know, walked into the show and started seeing Mm -hmm. your bikes come through for the awards. And it's like, Mm -hmm. who is this (laughs) guy? And the, the attention to detail, it, you know, you can tell the, the builders who have the ambition and have some chops, but don't quite understand the the sunrise to sunset of running a business. Yeah. It, yeah. It'll yeah. come through in little ways. And with your stuff, you know, at every little turn, it was buttoned up. And I was, yeah, I was super, super impressed. Uh, yeah. It's hard for somebody to be in a room and hold their own against a Peter Weigel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean that there's legends at, at NABS and uh, and honestly that I, I always joke I, I share this top space with Ian uh, from Icarus uh, mm-hmm. Frames and we would joke like when you, when you go to a show you're not making it for the attendees you're making it for the other exhibitors <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. I I'm I'm making those frames because I I you know tacit or or or, or spoken aloud like I I want the masters to look at it and say, okay, it's all right. Pretty good. You know, like a, a <laughs> nod from Richard Sachs or something is that would make my year. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I feel like imagine, there's, yeah. very, there's very much like a, a building for, uh, building for other builders, 
and of course, of course, the attendees too. I think that's the reason for the show. But um, I think a lot of the the extra extra mile. I, I think there was something that that uh, JP did when um, when I was first getting started. There was an article in BQ where it had like a process shot in his shop, and there was like an elaborate drilling uh, of vent holes that would be covered up as soon as you made the bike. Yeah. No one would see them. Yep. But it, I'm like, that is the Mark, I'm like, that is an amazing detail to have details like that, that people can't even see yeah. uh, is just, uh, yeah. So I feel like that was like, okay, okay. I have, I have a target. That is what I'm going to shoot for. It'll probably take a couple decades, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's my Mark. So um, yeah. And, and honestly, being be at those shows and those guys are so nice too. Mm-hmm. just being able to talk to them. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, and, and Philly, Philly was always that way too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter's an exceptionally gentle individual and you know, he's been that kind of crazy of, you know, nobody will ever see this. I, years ago, a bike that he sent to bicycle guide prior to my time back when it was uh, still Boston based, uh, he sent a bike uh, to them for something. I'm not even sure what, but he had painted a clown face on the pump peg. And the yeah. thing was they noticed it. And they photographed yeah. it and stuck it on the cover. You know, it was, I mean, it was like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's yeah. a bike magazine. Um, uh-huh. And there was, uh-huh. there was a bike that came through bicycle guide when I was there where the vent hole for the top tube at the seat tube, uh, because of the way those, uh, those tubes often come together, you know, you've got to decide what you're going to do to make sure that the gases can escape. Right. Um, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. And so this is probably more for our audience, but you've got to make some sort of hole in the mm-hmm. seat tube so that those hot gases in the top tube can get out. Well, he cut a heart shaped vent hole. Yep. <laughs> and, and I remember we were looking yeah. at it going, this guy has entirely too much time on his hands. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 And yet, and yet he's, he's doing it. I mean, that's the thing that, that that's the great mystery is, is how uh, these builders, are i mean he's he's from he's got a nice shop he seems to be living comfortably like you know i feel like that's the mystery like how do you make such high end stuff with so many details such richness uh and still put food on the table and and, you know and not make just one bike a year and and Uh, not have a reputation for selling stuff that was forty thousand dollars exactly 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 so um yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's the mystery. And, and, you know, my prices have gone up. I think uh, a lot of builders undervalue their work initially. Um, but you know, it's a double edged sword because it allows you to get sales when you're starting and maybe no one does know who you are. Uh, you know, you could be, I think that's maybe why I flew under your radar. A lot of my work, uh, initially was very local, uh, and almost all word of mouth. Um, but because Boston was such a, a scene, uh, you know, specifically for frame builders. And I think specifically with a ridership that appreciates frame building, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of, you know, doable. I, I never ran a print ad until, you know, I'd been running my company for a couple of years, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, and my advertising was going to the Philly expo, you know, in, in the, in the fall or winter. And that was about it. So. Yeah. Understandable. Well, you know, that brings me to my actually very next question is, so where do your frames start price-wise? And then where do you typically kind of top out with somebody who wants to go a little nuts? There is no topping out. That's, uh, let's just say that. The, the sky is the limit. Okay. Um, uh, but no, I, in all honesty, a, a really a nicely equipped frame with, uh, you know, I, I use mostly Columbus tubing. Uh will be in the 29 to maybe $3,200 range, mm-hmm. uh, for frame set, the frame fork. Uh, and then I honestly, you know, I, I think it's, it's worth putting nice parts on, a, on, on, uh, on custom bikes, but I think most bikes end up fully equipped at about 8,000. Okay. Um, that, that being said, I certainly have made some $12,000 bikes and, and the ones that, that, that tip the scales on the, on the cost side are, are uh, you know, uh, a roll-off bike, you know, these are kind of individual, super expensive components. Um, so like a roll-off bike with a sun generator hub, full Paul components, you know, cranks, levers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
you know, these are the bikes that are going to get up to 10 K pretty quick. Cause they're, you know, they're American or, or, you know, high end handmade parts. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, uh, when you add those up and, and each, you know, when your seat collar is made by Paul and, and, you know, it, that's how you get to 10 K pretty quick. Um, right. but I think honestly, all those parts, uh, hold their weight. They're worth it. Uh, I think. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to, to, to sell those bikes. Those, uh, investments seem more logical than just, you know, a, uh, uh something this carbon and, and expensive because it's very, very light. Um, I tend to almost make no bikes where weight is the guiding, you know, kind of principle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that keeps the, the cost down pretty low because if you have a nice alloy rim and, and, you know, kind of sensible parts, uh, it is kind of hard to, to have a, a, a 10 K plus bike, but, um, I think it, they, they tend to be in the, that eight, eight thousand dollar range. Yeah. Okay. And, in terms of the frame sets that you typically build, are you doing a certain amount of lug reshaping point thinning? Is that a common feature of, of a Royal H? Uh, yeah, the Royal H, uh, lug, you know, the lugs are all thinned out. Uh, you know, I think you just from a, from a technical standpoint, you, you want to transfer those, uh, the force from the tubes into the joint somewhat gradually. So I think, I think thinning them, it just makes a, a, a engineering sense. Um, so yeah, they're all thinned and, and some shaping. I think that the, the Hollingsworths are the only ones that are going to have that kind of decorative, uh, embellishments, mm-hmm. uh, that are, are not, uh, purely, uh, structural. Um, but yeah, no, certainly, uh, certainly the lugs are, are trimmed. Uh, I don't like to use things right out of the box. Uh, just there's something about being custom that I, I always, fiddle with the lugs a little bit. Um, so it is true. There's no two <laughs> Royal H bikes that are exactly the same. Good. Uh, you know, some, some combination of, of, of just, you know, it's a nice casting to start with. Uh, I use a lot of long shen castings, but I always pull them in a little bit just to make them a little more elegant, a little more minimal. Uh, obviously rep, uh, respecting the, uh, uh, the rules of, uh, you know, surface area for a silver bond. You know, I, I, I never make anything that's so, eat in a way that it would be unsafe, but, um, but yeah, a little, a little bit just to make it a little more felt. Gotcha. Um, now I'm curious, you're Boston based. A lot of your clientele has been Boston based. So obviously when it comes to fitting somebody, you know, it's, it's not hard for someone, you know, in Eastern Massachusetts to get over to your shop. But what about yeah. if you have somebody who say in Philadelphia or I don't know, Northern California, how do you work with them in terms of establishing the fit and what the number should be for the bike? So that's a great question. Um, and I've kind of lucked out. I, so a lot of people, when they're coming to get a Royal H, it's not their first custom bike. Um, so a lot of times people have been fit. They've been to a shop and gotten the fitting. Uh, it's fairly up to date. Um, they have some numbers, they have some, some, uh, touch points in terms of saddle height and reach that, uh, that they, that they almost, you know, they're like, here's what, here's the, you know, so the custom aspect is not so much, uh, uh, understanding what their fit should be. It's more mm-hmm. application based. Like I want a gravel bike that, you know, I've got my road bike that fits great. It's a custom, but now I want you to take that fit and, uh, you know, maybe some adjustments for a little more upright, you know, for longer touring, et cetera, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's more of a, a feature, uh, customization than a fit customization. So for those customers, I'm very comfortable dealing with, with, you know, never meeting them face to face, never getting them in the shop. Cause I, I do have a fit bike. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, certainly if you're in the Boston area, you're, you're going to be in my shop and we're going to go over that together. Um, but yeah, for first time custom buyers, I almost always ask that they go to get a fitting at a local shop that does that. And you know, it's, a couple hundred dollars, but it's gonna, it's gonna put my mind at ease. In well, terms of, it's just such a, a good investment. That, oh, I, I, I agree. And I, I've never had anyone bulk at that. I mean, they're, like I said, they're buying an $8,000 bike. You got to spend the two fifty three hundred dollars to get the fit. If you're, if you're new to the experience, you know, if you yeah. don't necessarily know what it ought to be. So, um, I do have some forms, um, you know, certainly there have been people who were not able to get to a shop that, that wasn't in their area. Uh, where I've done it using a fit form, uh, you know, where I, I get, 
kind of static, obviously body measurements and, and go from there. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's always a, a toss up and I don't want anyone to, to not be happy, uh, you know, or not feel comfortable on their bike. So, mm-hmm. um, my, my preference is to, is to, if they're, if they're, if they're outside of the Boston area, you know, I almost would mandate that they go get a, a professional fitting. Um, it's a little tough cause I can't, you know, I, I don't have that many connections with shops. So I'm like, I can't necessarily offer a recommendation in every major city, but, sure. uh, you know, usually, and uh, right we're a couple steps away from, and I can kind of sometimes lean on the riding, seven network. And I know you do too. Uh, you yeah, know, I can call repeat. someone over in the office and say, hey, I got a customer. Your bike has brought your life. You know, is there we a shop in there? To maintain your bike regularly. There's seven fittings that genuine Shimano replacement. Absolutely. We'll keep your Shimano equipped bike running Yeah, I would say, that Whether is, your bike is built with 105, XTR, or a new gravel group, no good. GRX, a well-maintained bike so, will operate uh, better it is and go important. faster. Very Worn true. out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, Show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. In terms of what you build, uh, I've seen pictures of road, randonneur, cyclocross, commuter, mountain bikes, tandems, and of course, the aforementioned track bikes. Um, (laughs) You've even now alluded to the balance bike that you've mentioned. So I can't say that you don't build kids bikes, but obviously it doesn't sound like that. That's not really a super commercial piece of your biz. No, no, that's, those are holiday presents, but yes, uh, (laughs) technically if you have a two-year-old to five-year-old that uh, you really want to get on a customer LH, it is, they are not too young. (laughs) (laughs) Start them now, folks. Get them while they're young. That's right. That's right. What are you best known for, or what tends to leave your shop with the greatest frequency? Uh, I think uh, the rain-denoring bikes, um, uh-huh. and I, I think that's just because um, that is really. I mean, and I, I, I make no claims up being a constructor. Um, my preference is to have a custom fit bike and take you know, a, a, um, Renee Hearst, uh, rack or a, a VO rack, maybe modify it. But I, I just, for me, it, it doesn't make sense for the way I, I build to, to make my own racks and, and, uh, and brakes. I mean, Brian Chapman being the example of, of someone who I think is a true constructor, uh, you know, making his own braking systems. Um, right. but I, but I, I think the rain and bikes I, are what I certainly what I'm proudest of because you've got so many systems working together, you know, you've got your fenders, you know, the, the fender lines being perfect, the wire generators being routed invisibly, uh, you know, bags, you know, the full luggage management, you know, in a way that looks good, loaded and unloaded. Um, so for me, I think those are what I'm maybe best known for. Uh, certainly road, I, the mountain bike stuff, I, I've only done one mountain bike. I thought it came out amazing. Uh, but yes, yeah, steel hardtails are you know, it's a, it's a niche. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say mostly, um, mostly the range engineering bikes. And actually it's, it, I, I finally made a, a pure road bike for myself, caliper brake, 25 millimeter tires, you know, like a, a real road bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, God, I haven't done one of these in so long. Cause you know, you, the the trend now is to, to bigger tires, more features, more capabilities. So, um, so yeah, I, I love making road bikes, but I, I can't say I've done one in a long time that's been just a road bike. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how that has changed. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. I hear similar things from uh, other builders that yeah uh, the 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 classic twenty three millimeter 
Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. trying, trying to close in on 16 pound steel road bike with, you know, yeah, thinned yeah. out lugs. That's, um, there's not a lot of that going right now. Um, yeah. and besides actually, 25 is the new 23. So there's that. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. I was going to say, I couldn't, I couldn't in good faith put 23 on Cause I'm like, I can't be that, you know, anachronistic. <laughs> uh, but, um, I, I, I was hoping, um, that I, I did a, a bike that I was really, really proud of, um, a track bike. Uh, this was two years ago, maybe. Um, and it was, uh, it was different from any other track bike I made. It was like a, a red hook style track bike. So, uh-huh. um, elevated bottom bracket for kind of a bankless, you know, course with lots of turns, uh, carbon, I use a Columbus carbon fork, uh, 44 millimeter head tube. It was fully Philip raised massive tubes. The rider was like eight feet tall. Um, so, you know, wanted something that would, you know, stay stiff. I, I think it was like a 65 or something. I mean, it was a huge frame, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but, uh, you know, reverse sloping top tube in a way that made sense, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's certain people you measure them, you get them on the fit bike and you're like, is this possible that your differential is like, you know what I mean? Like you just, mm-hmm. you kind of do a triple take and you're like, how is this possible? You know, you look at them and like, they look very comfortable. Uh, so you just, you know, outside of the realm of what you or I could ride. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that kind of a track bike was something I never would have envisioned building, but I, I had such a good time doing it because it was different and just every, you know, baseball bat down to, you know, I, I just, I, I was like, yeah, this is a race machine. Uh, you know, this just looks like it could, it had a stance that just looked like it could, it could hurt you. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was very, I was very happy with that. Cause I, I love a, a traditional one inch track bike. That was the first lug bike I ever made, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think those are really cool. Uh, and you know, that bike is super stiff and responsive too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's more vintage looking, uh, and, and making that red hook style, uh, bike was, was really fun. How, Um, how high was the bottom bracket on it? It was, God, okay. Uh, you're, I think it was, oh my God. I usually think about it in terms of bottom bracket drop. Sure. That's fine. Go with that. 50 millimeters of drop. Oh, Okay. So for um, our listeners tall. who aren't super conversant in BB drop, your average American road bike is going to have somewhere around seven centimeters of drop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Today, cyclocross bikes are a little lower than they used to be. They'll have about six centimeters of drop. So five centimeters is a little bit like walking on stilts. That's a bike that yeah. you've oh, got to be yeah. going quick to make sure it handles well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like this was a tall rider. So he's, he was running pretty long cranks. Uh, and I just, you know, I absolutely did not want him striking any pedals in the, in the corners. Cause obviously you are not coasting through the corners on a, a fixed gear. Um, no, no. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And what was the tube set you used for that? That was a custom affair. Uh, I think it was literally, uh, no, it wasn't a complete, uh, there was a Columbus stays. Uh, I think it was a Nova down tube. Cause I, I wanted something that was, that was bigger than anything I could get from Columbus. I think it was like a 45 millimeter down tube. Uh, wow. and I think a very wall head tube and top tube. Um, and, a, a you know, a, a Paragon, uh, T 47 shell. So everything about it was big, uh, yeah. you know, and, and that day, you know, getting the strength from the tube diameter, uh, you know, and this is a bike that's not, you know, going to be climbing. Uh, obviously you want it to be, you want it to be light to, you know, accelerate quickly, but, uh, but really stiffness was the, the governing, uh, principle on, on this bike. Um, so, you know, and also, you know, comparing weights on a bike, this bike was so big that it just literally weighed more because there was more of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> when the so. tubes get longer. Yeah. 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 So I think, uh, you know, the only bikes that I can really lean on a, a reliable, consistent tube set are kind of those road bikes that I make so few of. Um, but, you know, for that case, like an SL tube set is, is, is perfect. Um, you know, after all these years, like it is really just a great, I mean, that, that wall thickness, uh, I think SL is eight, eight, five, eight or something, mm-hmm. uh, for the main triangle. And that just, you know, unless you're super heavy, but if you're someone like my size and you're in the 54 to 57 centimeter range, like that's the perfect, the perfect. Tube. It really is. Uh, 
you know, and you yeah, get up to yeah. a 58 and you just pop an SP in the down tube, you know, a little bit yeah, thicker wall. Yeah. And yeah, those bikes feel really nice. <laughs> there was a reason they stuck yeah. around for so long, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was, you know, it, it was kind of funny cause I, I, um, and that was the bike that I most recently made, uh, for myself for the Philly Expo. And I got a few rides in before the muck, this winter muck has settled in. Um, and it, it's a fast bike. I got, I rode the bike and, and my wife asked me how, like, how did it ride? I'm like, this bike is faster than I am. Like, I'm going to need to work on, <laughs> on getting my fitness up to, to actually take full advantage. Like it's a, it's a, you know, one inch top two bikes can still boogie. Uh, you know, so, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by, you know, and part of it's the geometry. Like it was built in the classic Italian style, you know, those, those, uh, you know, the roses from the, you know, the, the, I don't know what you consider peak Italian frame building, but you know, for mm-hmm. me, it's like kind of mid eighties, late eighties, sure. uh, you know, those bikes to me are just the epitome of class and, you know, they've got that aggressiveness that you don't doubt, you know, you can feel out on the road. So, well, let's break that down a little bit. So tell me, uh, what was the BB drop for that bike? So this bike was 73 okay. uh, millimeters. So a little lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, obviously lower than that, uh, that red hook bike. Um, I think it was, uh, 73 and a half head tube, uh, 73 seat tube. And I'm trying to remember what the fork break was. I remember the trail was, I mean, I, I usually for road bikes, I, I am in the upper fifties, uh, trail wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was in that neighborhood. Maybe, I mean, I think it might've been 57. Um, okay. So, you know, nothing too twitchy, but not certainly a, you know, not a low trail bike by any means. Right. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, really that would, close to what the classic Italian stage race bikes were. They were often 75 millimeters to drop. You were, you usually mm-hmm. saw around 59, uh, 59 millimeters of trail. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, wheelbase would vary a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's a bike that, you know, you can take down a mountain pass and not feel like you're going to die. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think honestly, having ridden, uh, you know, some, some big, you know, my sister used to live in Colorado and, uh, we did a family trip out to, the uh, the national monument out there a couple of years ago. Um, and we went to Acadia this past summer. So yeah, descending is the test of, so many things, but yeah, frame alignment and geometry. Uh, because if you're, if you're hitting close to 50 and, and things are feeling solid, then you can be confident that your bike is straight and your, your geometry choices were, were correct. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is, I, I look forward to those types of trips because I can really put, uh, put the bike to the, to the ultimate test. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you to come out here and visit and then I'll take you on some I roads mean, that will amaze that you. That would be amazing. I yeah. don't doubt that for a minute. That'd be amazing. Yeah. It's, it's different. The, the roads here around here are very different. You haven't ridden anything like this. Uh, but I'll tell yeah. you, uh, riding in the hillier parts of new England will prepare you mm. for this better than most any other place I know. Yeah. 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 My, my brother-in-law lives up in, in New Hampshire and we, we go riding up there and, uh, the white mountains are definitely, there's some fun, there's some fun climbs and subsequent descents, uh, up there that are, that are nice. Yeah. Uh, there's a stretch of road near him. Uh, he lives right near Cannon mountain and it's fresh. It was freshly paved and, oh, it was probably the most fun I ever had on a bike. Just tabletop smooth. Yeah. Road, you know, the corners just, just right. You know, not, not where you have to just feather the brakes, you know, a little bit of, you know, going into it. Um, it was, it was sublime. So, <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a road yeah. I'd like to check out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Truly. Okay. Uh, so I tell people that the poll is a podcast podcast around craft. You know, I'm really interested in those lessons that come, you know, in that last most recent year, not the first year. And so I'm curious to hear from you, you know, you've been out on your own a while. You've had solid experience at one of the best respected builders there is. What's something that you've learned recently, the last six months to a year that you didn't know when you started out and could potentially even have affected your building if you'd known that, you know, earlier in your career? 
I think um, one of the uh, I actually had a, a very important lesson uh, taught to me uh, recently. It was about um, it, it was sort of about fit, but more about just kind of um, customer expectations. Um, I do have one retailer uh, in Connecticut, True Cyclery. Uh, Carl uh, owns that shop. And uh, we were working on a frame together for uh, a shorter guy, a smaller frame. And I usually, you know, on my own bikes, I take a little liberty with standover. Um, I certainly don't have standover clearance on any of my personal bikes. Uh, so, you know, the touch points were, were perfect. They're based on, on Carl's fit. Um, and I, you know, I kind of showed him a frame design that had, you know, the top tube was at his inseam, at the, the customer's inseam. Um, and I, you know, I, I asked Carl how the, the customer liked the bike once I delivered it. And he's like, well, he loves, loves the bike, but he, he's like really upset that there's no standover clearance. And I, at first I was like, well, that doesn't matter. But I think the important lesson was that this is a person who this customer had never had a custom bike their whole life. They'd never had standover clearance mm-hmm. and it was really important to them. And it, because it wasn't important to me, I dismissed it but I didn't understand that this is something that was actually very, very important to this particular customer because they'd never had it before. And they, it was just something that they kind of felt like they wanted. And it was very important to them, uh, even though I didn't think it was particularly important from my perspective. So I feel like that was an eye-opening moment of like, oh my gosh, I've completely misread this situation. I didn't ask the, enough questions about standover uh, and, and kind of miss, miss uh you know, the bike was not designed in a way that made the customer happy. So I'm rebuilding that frame. Um, you know, Carl's going to help me sell the, the, the frame that, that, uh, the first version. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that was like, okay, this is the frame building is more than just your ideas. you 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 know, you it's a, it's a dance with the customer. And like, I kind of missed the ball on that particular one. And I'm like, Oh, this is a good learning opportunity. And I'm glad that it's with a retailer that is a friend of mine and we can like work it out, you know, sensibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no one's yelling on the phone and, and throwing things, but, uh, but I was like, okay, this is like time to kind of like, you know, I've been, I've been lucky so far, maybe, you know, I've avoided this issue, but this is a real issue where like you're a builder, you've got ideas, the customer has things that maybe they aren't articulating, but like that are in fact very important to them. And, uh, it, it's kind of on me to, to, to pick up on that. And, and so I was, I was, I was thankful for that experience. And, and like I said, glad that it happened with the people that happened with the customers very understanding you know it's the dead of winter now so i've got a nice quiet time to, <laughs> to uh re- revisit this frame um but yeah i'd say that that is is huge like the technical side of it like both frames will be technically perfect you know like or, or as perfect as they need to be to be strong and and you know you know so it's not like i've learned some kind of construction technique in the last year but i feel like that interpersonal uh, thing is, is huge. Cause you know, when you're one person shop, you're also the, you're the salesperson, you're the quality control person, you're the customer service person. And, and I feel like I let that lapse a little bit. Um, you know, just didn't, didn't occur to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, that's, that was a, that was a nice juicy one. Nice juicy answer. To your question. I mean, it, but, it, yeah, it paints a certain sort of picture. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, it's also nice to hear that, you know, once you came to appreciate what that priority was for him, the way you embraced the solution. And that's, mm-hmm. that's always a really nice thing to hear. Uh, certainly yeah, there have yeah. been builders out there who, you know, would argue the point uh, rather than, <laughs> you know, stop and listen. Uh, right. 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 Well, I'm like, for me, I'm like, like I said, like the thing that sells Royal H bikes is, you know, it's word of mouth. And I'm like, if this person is not ecstatic about the bike, it's kind of like a non-marketing thing. Like it's kind of a dead end. So I'm like, it's worth it to me to get him the bike with the standover clearance. He's going to just, it, it'll have the exact same touch points. The fit will be exactly the same. The fit was good, but it was this other aspect of fit, uh, that I kind of missed, missed the markup. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, doesn't often get discussed much, uh, yeah. certainly for, yeah. for real road bikes. I think it's becoming more of a conversation point with gravel bikes. And certainly it's always been a big mm-hmm. deal with mountain bikes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And this was not a mountain bike. This was not a cross bike. It was, you know, it was, it was kind of a, 
it was a modern road bike. It had disc brakes. Uh, it had a carbon fork, but it, it certainly wasn't gonna, uh, you know, it wasn't like an adventure bike or, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it just, again, wasn't, uh, wasn't something on my radar, but yeah. And, and I think also the kind of, it, it was refreshing to get outside of my own head. Cause I'm like, right. I, I've never, like my first bikes were so ill-fitting that like the concept of standover to me is like, you know, like I'm going to ride that awesome Vitus frame because it's awesome. Not because it necessarily allows me to stand over it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so I, I like, I'm willing to, to make compromises with my own fit in the interest of aesthetics or, or, you know, something's cool. Uh, but right. I, you know, I, I'm not the person shelling out eight grand for a, for a custom bike who, you know, wants to be, <laughs> wants to get what they get. Uh, mm. so. Yeah. Very cool. Brian, thank you so much for the time. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's been yeah, great to get right. some insight right. into your, your work background and everything. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait till I see one of your bikes again. There you go. Well, Hey, if I'm ever in Northern California, you're the first person I will call. Cause I, I, those roads sound pretty nice. <laughs> I like that idea. Awesome. <laughs> Very Patrick, cool. Thanks. Have a great day. Cool. You too. Take it easy. Bye. That was awesome. Cool. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, this will be a good one. Um, so uh, if you would email me a couple of photos of, of you know, bikes that we spoke of, since I wouldn't know how oh, to yeah. track them yeah. down. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, uh, a couple of, uh, you know, complete side view shots and then one or two details. And uh mm-hmm. I probably won't be able to use all of them, but I'll, I'll run as many shots as I can so that, you know, when people, uh, listen to it, they can have something to refer back to easily. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I will, that's actually a good excuse, uh, to, to run down. Uh, Jared Bunk took a bunch of pictures of the, uh, that road bike I was telling you about, uh, at the Philly expo and I haven't, I haven't seen him yet. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll shake that tree and see if I can get some, some photos out of him. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so this will go up just after the first of the year. Uh, I'm trying Perfect, to get yeah. a couple of interviews done between now and the end of the year so that I have some stuff in the bank for when I mm-hmm. get started next year. Um, nice. Yeah. I've, I've picked up a second job. Uh, I don't want to say accidentally, but almost sort of accidentally. I'm the new yeah. interim executive director of the California mountain biking coalition. So awesome. Cool. California has never had a statewide advocacy organization that lobbied in Sacramento. We've only had the regionals. And so mm-hmm. this is the first effort to have something that will speak on behalf of the entire state, you know, four mountain bikers, two lawmakers in Sacramento. And, uh, cool. I am, I am the, uh, part time, you know, and short term, we'll see if I can turn it into long term, but for now it's short term interim director. And, uh, it's exciting, but it requires a little bit of time and I'm mm-hmm. having to figure out how to juggle a little differently. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that juggling is yeah, that's the name of the game. Yeah. So. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well, good, Our, good luck. And, and thanks again for, for reaching out and, uh, and including me in the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been dynamite. People are going to love this one. I can tell. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'll, I'll get you those pictures too. Okay. Thanks. Happy holidays. Right, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Same to you. Same to you. Enjoy. In our conversation before the interview started, Brian Hollingsworth revealed a couple of things that I thought were so interesting they'd be fun to include in the interview itself. And here they are. My family has a rich tradition of making presents for one another. Really? So, yeah. So it's like a lot of like craft and uh, hands-on projects in addition to, you know, the frame building stuff. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, for a guy who's already working all day with his hands... Then having to, in your quote unquote off time, go make something else that, <clears throat> yeah, that could potentially be demanding. Right. Right. So I, I just finished up, um, actually, uh, I, I just posted it maybe days ago on my, uh, Instagram, a, uh, balance bike uh-huh. that I just finished up. So that was like the big project and, and, you know, it was super fun, but I couldn't use any, uh, of my fixtures <laughs> cause it was, you know, it's for like a 10 inch wheel, uh, frame. So, <laughs> but, uh, 
I mean, but there's no drivetrain. It's kind of it's kind of fun to make because it really is like three tubes, and you've got the the bike, as it were. Yeah. Um, but, Very cool. I'll anyway. have to look that up. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I've got a real soft spot in my heart for balance bikes. Um, it's funny. Cause when I, the first time I ever saw one, I was like, no, the, you know, you got to have a way to like get your feet on it and, you know, help use your feet to adjust your balance. And then when I saw a kid riding one around, I was like, never mind. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's only hard if you think about it. If you just jump on it and do it. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both my boys did balance bikes and seeing them do that was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so I have to ask, I mean, if your family makes presents for each other, how big is your family? How many presents are you making, buddy? Uh, <laughs> it's really the immediate family that, that, uh, that, that is engaged in this tradition. Um, so really, you know, I have a sister and then both my folks. So maybe uncle Pete will get in the mix, but, uh, yeah. Usually it's limited to, uh, and honestly, it's only when the inspiration hits, there's no like actual pressure to like make stuff. We do have an ornament exchange that, uh, that is like, it is important that that is handmade. Uh, but that's like a raffle system. Oh, wow. We we get into Christmas if you, if you you, you aren't on that. You know, I mean, just that's such a wonderful way to unite a family, you know, using the holiday as a way. Uh, to yeah. draw the family close. I mean, really, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, I, yeah, we, we've definitely made it our own. We've made some weird uh, traditions with uh, Madeira wine. It, it's like, it's a whole, you know, solstice thing. So, uh, cool. But yeah, no, it's, I, I feel like we look forward to it. And it is a bonding thing for real. Oh, that's wonderful. It, on the shortest day of the year, which would be a depressing time otherwise. <laughs> Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. bike rider, bike riders don't have any opposition to less sunlight at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, as a year round commuter, I, my generator system is like on high, high usage. Uh, this time of year, basically I'm going into work and coming back obviously in the, in the dark. <clears throat> as a frame builder, I love these new trends that, uh, really encourage, uh, you know, when the track bike thing was big, when I was getting started, like, you know, it wasn't enough to do a conversion. Like you had to have a real, you know, paper clearance, you know, track bike and everyone would get <laughs> track bikes. And then the gravel thing is like, well, I can't just get an old 10 speed. And, you know, cause obviously the, those, those are convertible bikes. You can, you can put bigger tires in them, but you know, it's like, no, you gotta have a disc, you know, specific gravel bike. So I'm all for it. I, I think it's great Yeah. <laughs> to have a, you know, this, this new, like, well, this is obviously something that for the moment, you know, for that first moment, you need to go custom to get it. And then as the industry catches up, it kind of, um, you know, becomes something you can buy a, a salsa frame or a, a, you know, something that's commercially a little more accessible. But, yeah. You know, one of the funny things though, that I see is I still feel like the custom builder has an edge in a certain sort of way on the whole gravel thing. Uh, sure. You can go out and buy a diverge and you know, they're well-sized and you're probably going to find a size that fits you, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've got salsa, you've got all these other options, but there are so many little tweaks that riders often need for where they live that the custom builder can accommodate those in a way that is not necessarily all that easy. If you're buying something off the shelf. It's true. And even, I mean, with the, the, uh, even just matching axle uh, standards and disc standards is sometimes there's combinations where like, Oh yeah, this is actually a custom <laughs> territory. <laughs> you know, just because, Oh, if you wanted to run, you know, uh, I'm, you know, there's like probably um, we have Venn diagram of like things that are, you know, commonly available. And then, you know, if you want something outside of that diagram, yeah. Custom is the way to go. So yeah, yeah I've had people drop off wheels and be like, this is kind of what we're building around. So yeah. And I think, you know, a new tire comes out and like a lot of times that is something uh, to build around in terms of, you know, something bigger for a 700 or, you know, yeah. so I, I, I love having like the starting point or the precipitating point be a part. I actually think that's really cool um, to have something that seamlessly integrates it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I used to think it was weird to build a whole custom bike around a part, but now I'm kind of like, no, that's like totally the right way to do it. Like that's going to allow you access to this type of writing that you want to do. Like, let's do it. So Yeah. I mean, I could see there being some issues if you're, if you're really putting the cart before the horse, but building, <laughs> yeah. a, building yeah, it's a, true. it's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, but starting with the the tires, it's like, yeah, I can totally see that. Since I've run into that very problem in certain gravel bikes, it's like, oh, I've got this great bike. Let's put this tire on. It's like, oh, look, it rubs. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, very good. I'd like to thank Brian Hollingsworth for joining me on the poll. You can visit his site at royalhcycles.com or drop by our post at RKP where we will have links to his site. That's it for this episode of The Poll. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.